welcome to the Legal Technology Review Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Folk, author of The Cyber Advocate, Civil Litigator, and producer of the, you know, extraordinary podcast that you're listening to now. I want to talk to you about an exciting subject today, something that I'm sure every one of you is just thrilled to death to think about all the time. It's something you wake up in the morning, you're just, you're just happy about it. Cybersecurity, technological threats to your law firm, the existential uh, invisible attacker who you'll never see coming. Fortunately, we've started to develop responses in our industry to these cybersecurity threats. And one of the companies that has really been uh, leading the way in this is Excellus. And I'm happy to be speaking with Joe Marquette, the president of, our, of Excellus. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. I know that you're, uh, I, you, you probably share the warm enthusiasm of cybersecurity with every <laughs> one of our listeners here. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about how you came to be in this particular industry. Well, Excellus Technology Group was involved in, in IT management and, and various technology efforts uh, related to uh, the legal industry for quite a few years. We were founded in 2001. And, you know, it was a natural progression as, uh, you know, the landscape became more and more advanced. And, and uh, frankly, the bad guys became more and more uh, intent on, on stealing everyday information. Uh, it was a natural progression for us to start to uh, recognize the need to protect our clients and develop the skills and resources and, frankly, just the means to uh, make sure that we're doing what we can to keep our clients safe. As the market has continued, as the industry has continued to be exposed uh, and, and is dealing with the same things that you know many other industries are, uh, we've recognized the need to continue to develop it as a, as a standalone business area. So we've just, it's been a natural progression and, and you know, we continue to learn and and build it up as we go. So just in case our, our listeners don't know, describe what all the services and, uh, you know, and tools that Excellus provides to law firms. Yeah, in addition to the cybersecurity management tools that we provide, we also do uh, managed IT services, both on-premise as well as uh, hosted networks. Uh, we do application development, systems integration, uh, data migrations. Uh, we do custom apps, uh, client portals, uh, as well as we do uh, a fair amount of uh, project management for practice uh, legal specific applications, whether it's practice management or document management or uh, finance and accounting. So we offer a pretty robust, uh, wide range of uh, services really geared to the legal industry. Keeping pretty much everything safe, data safe, money safe, that kind of... Data safe, money safe. I mean, we, we really look at it as, as to a certain degree as, as legal technology engineering, um, because you know we, we, we look to partner with uh, our clients to not just keep the lights on, but really work to sort of engineer, leverage technology to engineer the practice. And uh, whether that's from a, a, a protection standpoint or a an automation or efficiency standpoint, we just want to make sure that we understand the, the depth of the industry from a business and technology standpoint to make sure we're making good recommendations. Jumping right in here, I, I'd really like to get your take on this. Now, um, one of the things that I think that it's been pervasive ever since I started writing about legal technology. It's I, my blog has been around now for about three years, but I've been interested in, in technology in the law firm literally since I got out of law school in 2007. And the overriding theme that I keep hearing is this concept that lawyers and law firms are technology averse. And I've always found that to be a fairly grotesque oversimplification because I, I don't really know of too many attorneys that don't, if you were to go to their home, you would see that they have. All of the all of the newest tech toys that everyone else who's interested in using the technology has, but one of the fundamental problems is this concept of finding a way to make it apply to a practice that most attorneys have developed watching older attorneys and through their own experience. And that one of the fundamental problems with applying technology to law is this idea that technology is a fast-changing industry, whereas one federal lawsuit might take 18 months from complaint to judgment. Sure. And as a lawyer, you don't necessarily want your processes to change, you know, entirely. You don't, you don't want to come back to see an entirely new practice management system sure. uh, when you return from a deposition. Or a document management system. Where's my exactly. document? I got to exactly. find, you know, something right away. What's, yeah. what's your take, Ben, on the attorney response and the law firm response to the rise of cyber threats? Well, I, I think that if, if you start from a foundational uh, sort of point of, you know, first of all, to your point, the use of technology is it, it, it's a mixed bag. I mean, most attorneys will still tell you that the the art of practicing law, uh, the, the, the the means of practicing law is, is historically not reliant upon technology. 
And, you know, it's really how far along is, is any particular individual or a firm in recognizing that technology can and should you know, be a part of creating the efficiencies that any business needs to employ in order to maintain advantages, either financially or competitively or otherwise. And, you know, there are certain organizations that are going to grasp that, that are going to leverage it, that are going to embrace it, and others that won't. And that they're going to they're going to fight it a little bit because they just whether it's personalities or individuals or otherwise, um, you know, certain organ companies are going to just get it and they're going and they're going to chase chase those opportunities. Um, as if you extend it into cybersecurity, it's it's a natural extension. Um, the, the the very conveniences or examples that you you gave um, are are interesting because if you think about security in general, security almost always flies directly in the face of convenience. I, I yeah, I consider the one primary exception to the rule of of complete inverse. Uh, relationship is the is the touch ID the finger the fingerprint I think is actually the only thing that we've come up with in the past fifteen years that has made things both more secure and more convenient. Now, how much more secure is up for debate, but right, yeah, and and I I think when you when you with the exception of of that that one which is is been great, um, although interestingly that now that there's some case law being brought up related to fingerprints and whether or not they um, essentially represent. Uh, self-incrimination but that's testimonial whole, yeah testimonial uh, uh, statement test, sorry, I think, uh, the funny thing is is when that first came when that first came out i and a few other people wrote about that very early on that that was actually what that was what i expected the result to be really that a court could order you to give your fingerprint even though they you have a protection against reciting a password but that's anyone who followed fifth fourth and fifth amendment procedure probably saw that one coming but yeah it's yeah, yeah, no, that that's the one piece that's pretty interesting. I mean, it, it, as it applies to security, you know, moving firms and and recognizing, you know, where you need to be and having the vision of understanding what it's going to take to get there, whether it's through technology, you know, security is is going to quickly, I think, become such a a part of the uh, the the day to day, um, you know, vocabulary for law firms. Um, but there, there's still a big gap in what do you do, and it's not that dissimilar from technology, really. I mean, a lot of firms, say, yeah, we need to do stuff, but we're not really sure what to do. And, and, and I think technology and, excuse me, security uh, follows a, a similar pattern. Um, people are scared about it, but they don't really know exactly what they could and should be doing about it. Uh, and that's where we're just trying to work through some different work with firms to try and figure out, you know, that there's there's a lot of people that want to throw dollars at it, but there's that's not always the answer. And and so that's what we're trying to figure out is how to how to get you from here to there. You got to start moving. You got to do something, you know, but um, you know, people call us all the time. Hey, I think I want cyber security or excuse me, cyber insurance. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the card before the horse a little bit, you know, we got to start talking about a whole bunch of things that, that are involved. And that just takes an, a level of attention again, similar to technology in general, but a level of attention that, um, sometimes can be difficult to uh, get your arms around at, at, uh, your average law firm. Well, and the, 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 the power of inertia is, is remarkable. One, you know, one question I had, and you see, I, I can speak from with some anecdotal experience, you've got a, a much better pool of experience to draw from. There was an old joke that someone told me that a Republican is a Democrat who's been mugged. <laughs> In the concept that your your perspective and your actions entirely change once something bad has happened to you. Mm -hmm. In my experience, it's been a mixed bag when it comes to actually being hacked. And it probably depends a whole lot more on, on the type of hack and how quickly the recovery was performed. Have you noticed a considerable difference in even just the approach to cybersecurity after a firm has suffered a breach? I, I, I do. I have. Um, what what gets interesting is is the difference between essentially a cyber incident and, and truly a cyber breach. Full cyber breach, you know, where you've had information that's essentially been stolen and now you have a whole storm of, of things that have to happen uh, you know, from notifying your clients and notifying authorities and calling your insurance company and everything, you know, going through forensics, uh, you know, information on what exactly has happened and how to avoid it. I mean, those are really big scale, high profile. And yeah, if you get hit with that brick, you're going to know it. All right. What seems to be a little bit interesting on, on the other side is a cyber incident. You know, if you get hit with a little mini ransomware, if all of a sudden crypto locker is, you know, on Sally's PC, does it change your overall perspective? You might not really understand it. A lot of firms don't understand. Essentially, you have been breached in a, in a minor fashion. You're, the, the, the integrity of your network is not no longer in, intact. Um, and, and you may have a $250, you know, 
ransom note out there, which maybe isn't hurting you enough to kind of go, wait a minute, let's let's extrapolate this out and understand what happened if they took, instead of Sally's PC, they took all our server, which actually has happened to a few, to a few firms. Where instead well, I know of several. Yeah. So if you encrypted an entire firm's worth of data and said, well, either you give us a quarter million dollars, well, that, that'll open up your eyes too uh, as, as to the issue. So the, the interesting thing from a, a criminal standpoint is that they have not pushed the envelope, even even the, the healthcare, you know, the hospitals that have had these, these ransom, uh, notable ransom uh, breaches lately, you know, it's a it's a twenty five hundred dollar fine. You know, it's 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 or a five thousand dollars. They they're staying under the radar. Even that uh, even they, that California hospital system, the, where they demanded three point five, got, got seventeen thousand. I think was what they paid. Seventy exactly. The FBI and the FBI has flat out said we don't care. That's not enough. And the FBI will tell you just to pay it. I mean, they'll say get your data back and and pay it. Um, you know, the challenges are are, are many with that, but it, the reaction from firms is such that you know it does open their eyes. Law firms will will tend to have a different perspective and from our experience on the priority and 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 what to focus on, somewhat dependent upon the type of law firm that they practice, the type of law that they practice. Right? So, you know, if you're already involved with healthcare, if you're involved with big scale litigation or intellectual property, you know, it, it's it's coming at you. Your clients are expecting it. You know, you're now going through the same vetting procedures as, you know, uh, anybody else um, in, in order to become uh, to gain that client and the audits and the requirements and, and the questionnaires and everything that are coming at you. I mean, it's 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 real and it's right in front of you. So that seems to be pushing it as much as anything, not just those, you know, cyber incidents, although certainly it gets your attention. We are talking to Joe Marquette, president of Excellus Technology, about cybersecurity and uh, stick around. We'll be talking about what some of the biggest threats law firms currently face. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Legal Technology Review on The Cyber Advocate. Don't forget to check out all the latest tools and technology for legal service professionals at www.thecyberadvocate.com. Okay, we are back talking to Joe Marquette. And Joe, here's here's kind of the million-dollar question Mm -hmm. in my mind anyways. What are the big threats currently facing lawyers and law firms in cybersecurity? You know, it, it's, it's an interesting question because, you know, the thing that everybody wants to talk about is, you know, the, the, the ABA model rules, you know, related to client confidentiality and the risks that you face as a law firm related to the loss of or the theft of information, of, of assets, informational assets. And that certainly is a, a you know, a big, huge risk. And, and the firms that have experienced um, breaches in this regard where they have had client information stolen uh, certainly face um, a myriad of, of difficulties, not the least of which are not, you know, including potentially closing your doors. Um, but if you look at the most recent, um, you know, the Verizon data breach investigation report, you know, they'll tell you that the priority for almost all hacks, all breaches is still financially related. Mm-hmm. So what, what I'll tell the law firm is, listen, you've got to cover a, a, a myriad of, of different threat um, vectors, if you will. But it, from our perspective, law firms really, it comes down to three things. And the first and foremost is financial. Understand that while you may not think, Mr. or Mrs. Law Firm, that, that you have information worth stealing, you probably have some money in the bank. All right. And that people are going to try and steal and steal from you in two different ways. They're going to try and uh, either gain access to your credentials and log directly into your bank and and start just transferring money to theirs, which happens, or they're going to simply insert some malware and encrypt your data until they have enough that you have to pay them for it. So while you may think I don't, you know, that my information or the cases that I'm maintaining aren't relevant, you know, maybe think about what happens if someone starts stealing directly from you and what effect will that have on your your firm? You know, there's there's one interesting uh, aspect that I, I was just reading about this in the past couple of weeks, the potential damage to a law firm. I don't know if you've seen this, but the, there's a working group uh, in the Supreme Court that proposes changes to the federal rules of procedure, civil procedure, criminal procedure, appellate procedure. And it's, it's all considered procedural. It's not technically substantive. And so if it's not, if Congress doesn't object, they become, rule, they become law. 
Well, they recently recommended a change to Rule 41 of the Criminal Rules of or the Rules of Criminal Procedure, which deal with the requirement for obtaining a warrant for invest the FBI to investigate computers. And at the moment, a federal judge cannot issue a warrant for more than one computer at a time, and the warrant has to be for a computer within their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. The FBI has been campaigning for years to get that changed, and the working group did just make that change. Now, if, now a federal judge can issue a warrant for the FBI to enter a computer anywhere. Anywhere, right. And it does not have to be a suspect's computer. It can be a victim's computer. That means that, you know, and I've always, I've always said that one of the big things that law firms should be aware of is the fact that their computer systems could be used as a zombie in a, in a DDoS attack or any other kind of brute force attack essentially where they slave your computer. Sure. Um, and it's a very commonly used uh, way for one hacker to be to become a thousand in sure. a hurry. Yeah. Why, why build your own infrastructure when everybody else's will work just fine? Exactly. The aliens did an independent state with the satellites, and I can see why that's a, a popular, you know, right. method of attack. But I think that there's, you know, I had not really thought all that much about the implications for law firms, because that would mean that the FBI, without any suspicion and knowing that your computer is the victim, not the perpetrator of a cyber attack, can investigate your computer. That could be incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think from from many different angles, I, I that that's probably a couple more podcasts right there, and just understand yeah. implication, confidentiality, and and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how far that could go, but it certainly re- would reach directly into uh, you know law firms for sure. I mean, and, and you make a good point. I mean, there's, you know, well, we, we talked about the financial implications. Um, you, you, you talk, we call that sort of, I, I refer to that as the, um, uh, I don't know, the, the access or beachhead uh, risks for, for law firms. I mean, law firms are, are, are particularly at risk uh, for that particular issue um, because of the general confidentiality, the general um, uh, respect and, and, and ex- expectations that clients have for, for their uh, law firms, their attorneys. It's like an, all, it's an implicit trust. Yeah, it's an implicit trust. Thank you. Um, you know, where, you know, if all of a sudden, if I wanted to get if I was a bad guy and wanted to get at other people, I, you know, a law firm is a great way to do it. All of a sudden, you know, Joe attorney is sending out, you know, informational requests for all of your financial information or your login information or your personal information. Well, of course, it's your attorney. I'm going to give it to you. So, you know, the first risk, as I mentioned, is is the threat is really a financial one. The, the one the second one, one of the second ones is, um, you know, this access or secondary motive, if you will, of, of we do want to attack somebody else and you're an easy um, you know, beachhead to do just that. You have to understand what's the implications for your clients, your vendors, your partners, other law firms. Um, it, it, you're an easy mark to try and, and, and establish that beachhead for a lot of different hacks. Um, but the third thing I just want to point out is information is still a, a, at risk. That, that threat of, of either um, you know, someone taking your client data, someone taking your employee personally identifiable information uh, is a threat. You know, depending upon the type of law that you practice, you know, espionage-related attacks, uh, hacks are are a threat. If you are an intellectual property firm, you know that that does uh, you know work for Boeing that's competing with the Chinese, you better believe that that you're a mark. And so, when you look at creating your profile, your your sort of defensive position, your defensive profile, I mean, know that it's financial, know that it is informationally related, and it's also about you know, creating that access profile or that beachhead, as we like to call it, that they're all very real risks for, for any one firm. I would think it, in, in these days, the way the uh, the global economy is going, if you have an intellectual property on the next great candy bar, you have to be worried about Chinese government hackers trying to come in and steal your, your intellectual property. This It has become that. It's very real. It's not it's not the stuff of movies anymore. I mean, it's, it's happening to, to companies and law firms every day, and, and you got to be ready. At the... Uh, I, I do remember, I think it was a report back in 2012, even when they referred to law firms as the soft underbelly of sure. corporate cybersecurity. Now, so that, that kind of leads me into uh, an, an interesting area that I've discussed. Now, you talked about the Verizon cyber threat report. Now, I hate Verizon um, as a company, <laughs> almost as a matter of course, just because... It's a, great, ma- it's a great report, though. Oh, their report is phenomenal. I, I, Tremendous. I mean, I, I will say that most of my... Most of my uh, most of my cybersecurity information comes from Verizon, Kaspersky, and you guys actually produced some really, some really excellent white papers as well. Thank you. The interesting part that they, they went through is 
every cybersecurity expert will seem to, you know, they list off the various things, the important things to do, the, where the threats are really coming from. And all of them love to list mobile devices as the number one source or the number one like threat problem. Verizon had a really interesting take on this. It is a terrible problem. It's a huge gaping weakness in corporate security that hackers are not using. No, they're not. Because they don't need to. No, exactly. There's, there's easier ways in. I mean, it, 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 it's soft and it's easy. But, you know, the, the truth is that, that law firms, you know, are exposed in, in a little bit of a different way when it comes to mobile, mobile security. You, you many times are putting client confidential information on laptops, on tablets, on phones yep. that are out and about. And that represents, you know, as I said, if you if you break it down between information and financial and 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 the other sort of beachhead scenarios, that informational one is very real. Now, if it gets stolen, if it gets lost, if all of a sudden you leave your your laptop in a in a rental car at the airport, I mean, you have by definition a breach, and and sort of it, it comes into play a little bit differently. So for law firms, the mobility piece doesn't represent the same sort of attack vector that it might for other industries, but it it's different. You know, well, and, and, and just in case anyone is wondering and thinking that that's, you know, not necessarily as big a deal, it's the 2015 survey, one in seven people reported a mobile device being a laptop, tablet or smartphone, either lost or stolen. And of that of that group, I think it was something like 77 percent reported negative consequences arising from the loss. And it was, I think, about it was 20% of that total group that said that it was just because their employer was upset with them losing the device. That means that it was about 55% of people who lost a device, be it lost or stolen, that actually suffered consequences due to losing data on that device. So that is a very, very real concern. Well, and it is, and it, and it goes back to, you know, the general question, which, you know, we, I'm sure we can get into, but, you know, you, as a firm, you have a responsibility to, to think through that scenario. You know, what, what, what's going to happen and how do we protect ourselves? And, and, you know, that's where we talk to firms and, and we'll say, listen, every laptop that leaves the building has to be encrypted. It just does. And, and then if that laptop is stolen, you are, you are not at risk. You have not, you have followed all the reasonable. reasonable. There you go. Yep. You, you, you have uh, followed the reasonable measures, uh, you, know, you know, standard. So, you know, there's a lot of little things that you can do as a law firm to sort of cover yourself. Uh, you know, without getting into, uh, you know, a million dollar uh, intrusion detection system. I, I, I laughed that uh, I was doing a tech tips, uh, whatever, 30 tech tips in 30 minutes kind of thing. And someone said, can you turn this in? You can also add an, an ethics component. And I, I laugh because I tell them that I can literally turn any technology CLE into an ethics CLE by asking one question at the very end. Why the hell aren't you using this yet? <laughs> um, exactly. and, the, and the funny thing is that I, I was going through one of my tips was for your data at rest, especially if you're using cloud storage, you can use any number of encryption tools. Boxcryptor is free. Right. Guess what? Everyone in this room, if you, uh, if you suffer a breach from not encrypting your data in Dropbox, you are no longer acting reasonably because I've just told you that you can do it easily and for free. And yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things where the, the basic... The fear of, and I actually think this 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 is a double-edged sword. The fear of uh, violating that reasonableness standard can be useful, except when the people judging what's reasonable are people who are resisting change themselves. Sure. Um, and I actually think that it has served as sort of, sadly, more of a safety blanket for some lawyers than as a, you know, something as a true carrot and stick, you know, to get them to advance. But you got to, I mean, creating that awareness, understanding what a security pro, do you have, a, you know, a security plan? I mean, you know, just getting any firm to recognize that you need to think it through and there are going to be some very reasonable, very commonsensical things that you need to do. You have to just enforce it. It has to be policy. Your employees have to understand it and, and you'll be in the right direction. But, but a lot of, uh, a surprising number of firms just don't want to don't want to embrace that as, as a key component of their operating model and the things they have to worry about. We're talking to Joe Marquette of uh, Excellus Technologies about cybersecurity. Uh, we will be right back. If you're enjoying this podcast, head over to iTunes and look up the Legal Technology Review or the Cyber Advocate. And go ahead and leave us a rating and review. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Legal Technology Review podcast 
never miss an episode on tools and technology for lawyers and legal service professionals. All right, thanks for sticking with us. We are talking about cybersecurity with Joe Marquette of Excellus Technologies. And Joe, this is it's interesting. This is a, a post that I did that I'm going to be updating probably as a part of this podcast. I did a seven top tactics that hackers use to get your data. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a while ago, and the the terms themselves, hack, hacking strategy changes frequently. The number one will always be Mitnick's favorite, social engineering. But what are some of the top tactics that you see hackers using to get into law firms these days? Well, you know, it's it's I don't know what the percentages are. I suppose if I go back to my Verizon report, I could tell you. But, you know, I believe that the numbers, 80% of all attacks are, are, are external. So, you know, understanding your, your defensive posture, you know, how you need to set up. Um, but the far and away vast majority of attacks began through phishing uh, emails. I mean, it, it is still, uh, you know, I, I, I think the number is, you know, somewhere around 15 to 20% of uh, phishing e- emails uh, will, uh, will be opened. And I think, again, I don't want to misstate the numbers, but a good percentage of those will have the links uh, clicked. I, I, I've, I've read that. And the funny thing is, is I, I don't know if you participate in anything like this, but I have a subscriber list for my blog. Mm-hmm. And damn it, if I got the open rates on emails just for my, just for my blog letter that hackers get on phishing emails, they should be writing marketing emails. The average the average marketing email has a one point five percent open rate. The average right. phishing email has a fifteen percent open rate. Right. It's amazing. They are so much better writers than any marketers are. And by the way, you have anything from UPS. You you know you that's not your bank. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's amazing. But yeah, you know, it's it's just the the process of educating and training people to understand what it is that what's happening, why it's happening, and how to avoid it, how to report it. Again, you go back to what are some of those fundamental things that firms can do that doesn't involve spending a bunch of money uh, that can save them a lot of time and money down the road. You know, phishing uh, attacks is is absolutely number one. Uh, you know, malware that can be inserted through phishing attacks or through uh, through websites is is a very high uh, risk profile. Um, you know, the the uh, amount of of bad things that can be loaded on any computer and and which immediately opens it up to a world of exposure and, and uh, you know, use from outside uh, your organization, uh, you know, it's just, it's tremendous. I mean, it, it, it's happening a lot. Um, again, everyone's got a firewall. Let's lock that thing down. Let's limit all the places that people can go and, and see. But it goes, it flies again in that face of, you know, what's convenient. You know, well, maybe I want my, my employees to be able to go to where, wherever.com, when, you know, on their lunch hour. Well, is it worth your firm to do it? You know, that malware that can come from that website is, is, is a very real threat. So, you know, we see that the phishing attacks, the malware, the social engineering aspects of, of uh, these breaches really being the biggest uh, exposure for, for our clients and for most firms that we talk to. The, the malware one is interesting. I think especially the, the ad injected mal- malware, that's the what you get when you go to a website and the, the advertisements are compromised. And it was it's funny it's been one of the driving forces behind ad blocking software now as a an, a publisher online i've got one perspective about ad blocking software sure. as a user of ad blocking software myself i've got very competing views it was it's it's as i think people are 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 uninformed i used to be i i think it's easy to be unaware i should say of the impact that those ads and uh, have on your productivity your um, you know, your bandwidth usage. Oh, at, man, yeah. Uh, you know, we basically have pushed out uBlock Origins to um, all our clients and, and basically said, you know, listen, we're going we're gonna to increase your, your company bandwidth by about 60% and improve your productivity and, you know, make it so you can get through things faster. And we have not of, you know, several thousand endpoints that we have pushed this out to, not one complaint. The funny thing about the the adware, and this is the one thing that I, I keep hearing from everybody, it's like not being worried about what websites you're going to because, well, I don't go to bad websites. And so the, the, my, my favorite one of that is, so right, uh, Forbes was one of the first companies like and Wired that, yeah. they, that they put up the thing saying, you can't come to our site if you have an ad blocker on. And the very first day they put that up, you had to disable your ad blocker to go to Forbes. The very first day. Their ad system was compromised, and uh-huh. people who turned off their ad blocker got hit with malware. 
Well, there was there was that that uh, it was a couple of uh, when was that? I think it was in February. There there was um, I don't remember them all off the top of my head, but you know, very notable, large scale, prestigious websites mm-hmm. which all were ha- had malware uh, advertising being being pushed out. Yeah, I think uh, Yahoo it, and New York Times were among the New York Times was, yeah. was one of them. Yeah, I mean, we literally had to we we logged into all our clients and and, and just blocked them all. We just said, you know what? <laughs> we're gonna we're just gonna turn them all off until they fix it. And and I'm sorry if you don't get to read the New York Times today, but that's just what we had to do. So it, it, you cannot assume. I mean, Farmville on AOL was <laughs> was ejecting bad stuff onto users, uh, you know, PCs for a while. So it, it it's not an easy good guy bad guy where you're on a gambling site or AOL. It, it, it's 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 all out there, and it, it's coming from all different directions. How do you feel about uh, there? One of the things I did recently, I did a whole series of reviews and put them into two different posts on VPNs. And some of the VPNs are now, and and a lot of the actual network-based VPN and firewalls are talking about how they're using the almost like catalog of bad websites. It's their, you know, they've got 3.5 million or 4 million or whatever sites that they've got collected that they know are malware sites. And so they block those. How do you feel about relying on systems like that, that uh, essentially, it's almost like crowdsourcing a threat list? Well, known vulnerabilities um, or common vulnerabilities uh, is is a substantial means to protect yourselves. I I, I believe that the, the you know vulnerability scanning, regular vulnerability scanning, both internally and externally, it really should be a fundamental part of any law firm's you know IT management protocols. Uh, you know, turning on. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a misconception misconception rather by a lot of uh, be it attorneys be it IT managers be it office managers that security is sort of a, a, a we we do it and then we're done it it doesn't work that way mm-hmm. the, the the bad guys are continually finding new ways to exploit everything from Windows to uh, you know I don't care if you run Linux I you know Adobe Microsoft I mean every everybody is is trying to find another way to take advantage of the tools that you are using every day as a law firm. And if you're not out there sort of checking to see what what's happening, th- those those common vulnerabilities, you know, come with a, a remediation. So you can go, oh, look, th- they found a new way in. All you have to do is change this setting and we've blocked that. We've we've closed that, uh, you know, that hole, that back door. And and to not do it is is somewhat remiss. And in, in, in our opinion, I mean, it, it really should be a fundamental piece of of, of most firms. You know, it's not that those those vulnerabilities are, are bad. You know, you close this off doesn't mean you, it's only going to help. So, you know, tightening up your defensive posture through known vulnerabilities is is it, it's pretty important. I, I John Oliver recently did his thing uh, on encryption in response to the Apple and Department of Justice thing, and I thought there the little clip they did at the end showing the uh, what yeah. what what the real life of an Apple programmer <laughs> yeah. is. Just like, just basically the building being on fire. It's like it's like we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Joe Marquette about cybersecurity. Uh, Stick around because we're going to be talking in a minute about some of the uh, new and emerging threats. So uh, if you have a nice view uh, or a nice picture in your mind of an apocalyptic future, we'll be talking about that in just a second. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Legal Technology Review on any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for the Legal Technology Review or the Cyber Advocate. You can also get all the latest on tools and tech for legal service professionals at www.thecyberadvocate.com. Okay, we are back talking about cybersecurity. Uh, Joe, what you actually you you mentioned this during the break. What in your mind are the big things, be they new things or be they the things that have been around since the dawn of time, can law firms do to make sure their information is protected? Yeah, and and I think the the biggest thing is to recognize first and foremost that you you need to it needs to be a part of your plan. It's a part of part of your just like HR or payroll or IT. You know, security is is a fundamental piece, and and to get that rolling is is really first and foremost the mo- number one thing that any law firm needs to do is recognize what information they have that's va- potentially valuable and where is it. You know, a lot of people say, well. You know, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, Susie puts, you know, the client information over there, but then sometimes we, we save things on a server over here, or maybe we have a document management system that controls all of that or a practice management system. But you've got information in financial systems and document management systems and, and across your network, 
it's hard to protect that if you don't know where it is. You know, it, it's, it's very difficult to say, you know, we're going to put a lock on the outside and just whatever's in here is in here, but it, no one will ever get in. Well, no, that's not true. I mean, so it, it, first and foremost, know where your information is. We call it the data gold. What's a, what's a potential target? Where do you keep your employees' social security information or their, their driver's license they really did before they became an employee? Well, you know, it's funny. It's like you, you were just mentioning that is, you know, you actually probably could put a lock on the door and no one would be able to get in. The downside to that particular approach is that nothing gets out. Right. Uh, this is, this is, you know, goes back to the thing we discussed at the very beginning of cybersecurity, security is being basically an inverse relationship to convenience. Convenience. If you yeah. want it to be easy to access. And that, that was, that was the, the, the widely learned lesson, I hope. I don't know how many people learned it because I don't know how many people heard about it, but the, the Anthem hack. Sure. 80 million records that were kept unencrypted. Why? Because Anthem and the other companies they dealt with didn't like taking 15 seconds to decrypt the, the information when they got it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it, we could go on a, the, the whole point, you, you get in the medical field, it's fascinating because you start talking about all the different things that are being captured on that side and related to, you know, your MRIs and, and, you know, they could be encrypted, but they're not because it's just, it's too difficult and then the systems wouldn't work. I mean, you know, there's a whole different angle on all of that, but you know, ultimately the, the information that a firm that says, I don't have any information that's worth anything, hasn't looked at their, at their data to know what they have because everybody has something and, and building a defensive posture um, requires you to understand that. And, and, and because what we always say is a, a layered approach to your security is critical. And that doesn't mean layered technology necessarily, but it does mean different sort of like operational physical, technical, and training layers. Um, and because, you know, if you understand where the information is, first of all, the second thing we tell people is start using the tools that you already own to improve your security posture. Mm -hmm. Take your document management system and quit letting people use the same Windows login for every single tool that you guys have in place. Mix them up. Make sure that you understand what it means to use a, a, a more complex password system that rotates. I mean, there are there are systems that you own already. Every law firm today, which they're probably not leveraging to to make sure that they are doing the fundamental things right. And, now, and virtually every software that any company is using that has any form of updates probably has a free two-factor authentication built in. Great example. Uh, yeah, I mean. Exchange will offer two-factor authentication, mm -hmm. but you know most firms are, are not doing it because it's too difficult. Let, let um, me ask you one one question. You you just mentioned you were talking about passwords, and passwords have actually been a particular target of mine. I've now I've now done a a, a bunch of posts, and I've got a even a, a cybersecurity uh, twelve steps to building your cybersecurity program. Mm -hmm. for, for which, by the way, I just want to let you know I I do uh, very very frequently and generously. Uh, cite to the various white papers that your company has produced. <laughs> One of the funny things about my what I've been finding recently, though, is there there is even though there are a lot of easy things you can implement, there is a limit to truly what you can do effectively. And mm -hmm. passwords probably are the best example of that because, and I see this a lot. You get when companies implement thing implement things like rotating passwords. Mm -hmm. There are fewer and fewer cybersecurity experts that I talk to that even put that on the list of things they recommend anymore because they've recognized that when you create a system that passwords constantly be changed. Now, obviously, if you have a situation where you're sharing passwords with people for a good reason, but you're only giving them temporary access, you need to be changing those passwords. You, you have to change the locks of your house every time you have a new renter, if that's the kind of you know, right. thing you do. But by requiring people to change their regular passwords frequently, they are trading off the opportunity to have complex passwords. Now, there's a simple solution to this. Have everyone use a password manager. But apparently, another one of those studies, one in 12 people use password managers, and I'm convinced that all of them are in IT. <laughs> I think that's probably true. And, and so what's your take on what the best advice to follow and what advice that's good, but maybe has an opportunity cost that exceeds right now what a law firm can get true value out of? You mean as far as password management? Or? Well, as far as anything in cybersecurity. Well, I mean, I think that when you look at the password piece, just to touch on that a little bit, I mean, you know, rotating passwords, first of all, complex passwords should just be required. I, you know, if someone's trying to hack in your network and, and it's, and password is your password, you, you have no password. You must just turn it all off. Um, rotating passwords protect you from things like, uh, employees that leave having access to information, uh, remotely, 
forgetting to, you know, take somebody off your network or remove their email or doing things like that, requiring those things to rotate, whether it's 90 days or six months or something like that, is just general good hygiene as far as mm-hmm. your, your your practice. It's a pain. I, it, it, again, that flies in the face of security. Um, when, when you look at, at the tools that you can use, if, if I understand your, your question correctly, I mean, th- there's a handful of things that, that any firm can be use, used um, to further improve their position. Password management is certainly one of them. It, encryption, uh, it should be, it, it's, it's a non-issue. Yeah. Everybody gets it, it's there. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, one of those things where, well, that's, and in, in, in talking even about an ethical thing, as I, I, was, I spoke in front of the uh, Georgia Trial Lawyers Association, uh, I think two weeks ago, and one of the thing, one of my comments was encryption is not required by any state bar yet. I would be shocked if it's not required by all of them. I mean, 10 years is a short time in the legal industry, but I would personally be almost offended if it's not five. I would be surprised. I think you'll reach critical mass very quickly on that. I mean, it's implied now, yeah. you know, as far as the, you know, the sort of the safe harbor that encryption creates for, for breaches. Um, so, I mean, it's not, it's not a stretch or that's not a long way to simply say just encrypt it. It certainly it, is reasonable. It, yeah, yeah. It, it does qualify. Um, so yeah, encryption works, um, you know, vulnerability management, the vulnerability scanning, making sure that your, your perimeter is, is hardened to the best of that you can. Um, you know, things like spam filters, uh, you know, really you, sh- everyone should be using an offsite spam filter to, to not on your desktop, not on your server, filter it somewhere else, remove a bunch of those, uh, you know, phishing attempts before they ever get to your environment. It's, it, it's, it's huge. Um, you know, multi-factor authentication, again, a lot of, you probably already own it. If you don't, you should, um, as far as remote access or how you're getting into your network, particularly from afar. Um, you know, offsite backup systems, making sure that you do have those snapshots so that if something bad does happen, you can, you can recover from that. That's not network, network attached. That I think is the, the big one. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the ransomwares, that's, that's been a huge thing. And the funny thing is there are a couple of firms that I know that, that sort of had been resisting doing more high tech backups were saved by the fact that their backups were magnetic tape. Yeah. Uh, six hour, it was six hour magnetic tape. If you did a lot of firms that do magnetic tape, don't do it as frequently as they need to. But because it was on magnetic tape, it was, it's disconnected. it was disconnected from the network and therefore couldn't be encrypted. Now, you know, one of the other interesting things I found, though, too, is that when you encrypt a file, it typically changes the file extension. Ransomware, primarily, most of the ransomwares out there now, target uh, .doc files, mm-hmm. .xls file, any Office file, really, PDFs and image files. They don't right. target encrypted files. No, they're so going to they're going to look for easier prey. I mean, and and that's where you know you start talking about your defensive profile, your defensive posture, and you, you understand that to a certain degree, all you're trying to do is you know have the guy that's walking down the street trying to check doors that are open, just have yours not be open. I mean, you know, so if you have if you have password as your password, or you know you're, you're doing these simple things for remote, you're not doing anything for remote access or, or securing yourself. You, you know, the bad guys go, well, here's an easy one. Well, my, my uncle used to say that, that most criminals are fundamentally lazy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, why would someone want to spend the time hacking into your firm with a, you know, 12 character, you know, password system, with, you know, multi-factor authentication when the, the guy next door doesn't have any of that? And they can probably, by the way, get into your system just by hacking into theirs. And this, this is one thing I want to briefly talk to you about before talking about emerging threats. And this is something I keep hearing and it's it drives me crazy every time I hear it. There's so many law firms think that they don't have anything of value, but when you when you actually ask them and follow up that question, you boil down to what they're really saying is what they're really saying is I don't feel like I would be targeted. I sort of know that I have information that's of value, but but one of the things they don't fundamentally understand is this idea that it's not like they have to be a prowler. It's not like they have to actually be. They, they don't, they don't, there's no jewelry store, store to 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 scope out before before the big job. They have. You know, they've hacked one person and that one person sends a phishing email automatically to everyone in their contact list. Uh, exactly. You're and not targeted. Everyone in their contacts. Being targeted now simply means you happen to receive a phishing email. There's no, nece- there's, you're not necessarily being targeted because of exactly who you are. Well, there's, there's two facets of it and, you, and, it, and it's, great, it's a great point. The, there's the, we're just throwing out a net mm-hmm. and to see if we can catch anything. All right. And, and, and we're all suspect to that. All right. Um, there is in the legal industry, you know, 
a direct attack. Oh, sure. Yeah. Facet, you know, so and that's what and I think that's to your point, that's where people get confused. They're like, mm-hmm. well, I, I, they, they, they go straight for the direct attack discussion. And well, you know, OK, I do family law and I don't think a hacker is really concerned about, you know, Jim, Mr. And Mrs. Smith's divorce. But they well, love that social security number. They'd love the social security number, but but that's that's the phishing net. Mm-hmm. The phishing net's just going to go out there looking for anything that you've got. It's not a target at you. If you are handling billion dollar mergers, um, you, you know, internationally, that's a different attack. People are, they may attack you, and that, that's and you will have. And even those people, I think, sometimes will say, "Well, you know, I really don't have anything that's important." No, yes, you do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it both definitely come into play in how you set your firm up. Um, it, you know, really needs to consider both of those at the, almost in parallel. Thank you for listening to the Legal Technology Review. If you enjoy this podcast, please share us on social media or email to your friends, colleagues, or whomever you think could benefit from a little more technology in their lives. We don't accept paid sponsorship on the Legal Technology Review, so your personal recommendation will always be our best advertising, and we can't do it without you. Joe, I, and this is part of this is curiosity for me because I love talking to, to security people and, and IT people about what they see coming. What are some of the threats that even if even if you know some firms might have experienced them now that are sort of the new things that you need to make sure you're watching out for. You know, I I think that um, again I'll, I'll refer back to the the Verizon report. You know, the thing that that became from my perspective really evident. You know, having read it several years in the in a row is there aren't necessarily any new you know boogeymen out there, you know, scary things that um, are coming up because. Quite frankly, everything that everyone's been doing is working quite well. Right? You know, they haven't necessarily, they don't, they haven't needed to come up. Now they're they're certainly getting more and more creative. Um, you know, the, the the guys, you know, historically, when you look at the people that were doing this stuff, you know, they started off as the script kiddies, and 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 now you have the evolution is 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 just the, the what? I'm sorry, I'm not saying it very well. The people that are doing this are professionals. All right. Yeah. This is a this is a career choice of people in countries far, far away. You know, you have doctor, you have lawyer and you have a cyber attack. Well, there's one there's one of the, one of the ransomware. They were just talking about this uh, recently. There's one ransomware that is actually available software as a service, just like your cloud practice Absolutely. management system. You, Fifty dollars a month and you and you and you get and you help get support. Yeah. I mean, they take a cut. They have help desk support. I mean, it, it is it's a business. And so the, the emerging thing, the things that are changing out there is that, you know, when we talk about those fishing nets, sort of like expeditions, or whether it's a targeted, you know, hack, the people that are performing these things are getting really good at it. And, and, the, and, and to stand back and just say, I'm, 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 I'm not likely to be, no one's going to attack, target me. You gotta understand, like, they all are out there making money at this, attacking someone just like you. And, and they're getting really, really good at doing it, the tools at, the, at their disposal to do it. Um, you know, their ability to leverage, you know, the different bots and take over like massive amounts of technology and, and use it uh, to attack a, a wide range of people is, is just it's only getting more and more persistent. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, there's some things happening as it relates to um, uh, security, the, uh, uh, y- you know, the SSL certificates and, and you know, the, the, there's some uh, issues coming down where you fake SSL certificates and websites that you think are good and, and they're not. And and uh, I think that's that's coming down the line as as a, as a real threat. But I don't think it's it's changed the landscape for most of our firms as it applies to what they need to do and how they need to prepare. The truth is that most firms still need to go back to the basics. They need to develop a plan. They need to have uh, you know training and education for their employees. Um, you know, they need to make an ongoing effort, uh, recognize sort of what their threat profile looks like and build up the defenses, basic defenses. We're not talking about bajillion dollar things. Just do some of the fundamental things right. And, and I think that the emerging stuff will sort of take care of itself, meaning the, the tools and responses, the software, the operating systems, the platforms that you work on. And there's a lot of really smart people out there working to, to protect those. And I think if you're working with them to protect your firm, uh, those emerging things will sort of take care of themselves, but uh, you know, there's just uh, there's just so much uh, activity going on out there, and so much money to be made. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, everybody is, is, is a potential victim. One real quick thing I want to mention is that one lesson I took, at least from uh, all the research I did surrounding the Apple v. Uh, Department of Justice issue, uh, was the idea in mobile security is that encrypting everything and putting a password on your devices is, is absolutely essential. But uh, you can go to you can go on Amazon.com right now and you can buy a device for I think it's ten dollars to that will hack an iPhone using uh, that uses the iOS. Uh, seven or lower Stop. operating sister <laughs> right. system, and it'll break it in a minute and a half, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of the complexity of the password. To me, that adds to the what I would consider the reasonable the reasonableness requirement on not just encrypting, not just making sure that you've got your uh, your basic uh, even just find my iPhone or Android device manager active, but making sure that you have that device wipe option enabled and that you're ready and and willing to use it. Yeah, and, and, and you're 100% right. I mean, it, it goes back to sort of that overarching plan. You know, it, it says, okay, we're going we're gonna to have devices, we're going to allow remote access, we're going to do all these things, and here's how we're going to secure it. And then, most importantly, you know, we, we, you talk to some security companies, and, and, and we're all the same. We're like, well, we gotta, we got to sit around and do tabletop exercises. We start throwing around these terms, right? And the bottom line is, is if you're, as a company, if you can answer questions like, you know, what happens if an attorney loses his laptop? What happens if all of a sudden, uh, you know, my office admin quits and walks out the door? Do we know how to manage that? You know, if, if a phone is lost, what are we going to do? If all of a sudden somebody opens up that UPS email and, and the computers start acting really crazy and, you know, how do we, how do we deal with that? Um, you, you know, go through the scenarios for your type of firm that, that, are likely. And if you're ready to deal with them, including things like, well, we're going to remote wipe it. That's a great answer to a very basic question that can happen to somebody, but you got to think it through. Mm -hmm. And if you've got that plan in place, you'll be a lot further than most of your competitors and, and uh, frankly, most of the businesses that are out there. All right. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for joining us today. This is good stuff. Really appreciate your time. Just want to remind everybody to uh, head over to iTunes or to your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Legal Technology Review podcast. You can look it up based on Legal Technology Review or the Cyber Advocate. Visit the Cyber Advocate. We've got a ton of great cybersecurity posts on there. You can also download our free 12 Steps to Cybersecurity to help you develop your own plan that, as I mentioned before, regularly, frequently, and significantly cites to information written and produced by Excellus. Glad to help. And it's, uh, it's definitely some good information. You go to Excellus.com. You'll find some great stuff there about cybersecurity and everything you can do to protect your firm. You can head to the post to get more information, to get more information about Joe, more information about Excellus. And this has been the Legal Technology Review. I'm Brian Folk, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.